You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Will you pray with me? We come to you, our Father, which art in heaven, as your people, and sing with weary lips, O bless the Lord, O my soul. We pray that your kingdom would come, even as now you reign in your kingdom. We long for the new heavens and earth. Until then, we need you to hold us fast. And indeed, you promise to hold your people fast until that day. And until that day, may we be compelled with the greatest news ever known to man to be your ambassadors for this glorious gospel. Will you bless my brother Logan as he unpacks this great theme from scripture? Fill him with the power of your Holy Spirit that he might help us to long for that day when we see Jesus face to face. And all God's people said, amen. Please, please, please remain standing for the reading of scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 21, where the apostle John paints that picture of a new heaven and new earth for us. And in Revelation chapter 21, verse one, through verses, verse eight, John writes these words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Thanks, Dean. You may be seated. Before Logan comes up to preach, um, I want to provide some, I think, hopefully helpful context and a reminder as well as to why Logan is preaching. Um, number one, I'm keenly aware that, especially in a, in a church plant context, you know, that a church can be built around a pastor. That's not we, what we ever want here. Our church is built around Jesus Christ. Therefore, uh, stepping out of the pulpit from time to time, I think is healthy for a local church. It's good for a local church. It's good to have other voices preach and speak the word of God. So I think that's point number one that I, I want to make. This, this church, Redemptional Church, even though I'm up here 95 plus percent of the time and I'm doing all the other things, it, it's not about me. And I want this to be a reminder of that fact. So that's the first thing. Number two, um, I love discipleship. And over the last two years, Logan has served faithfully as an intern of this church. Logan has done much that many of you would not even know or realize. And I'm thankful for his faithfulness. And because he's been working behind the scenes, I've been able to connect with him in unique ways. Um, this intersects with his degree at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And so many of you don't know this, but I'm, in his, I'm his mentor. Uh, through his classes online, and so we've connected in a variety of ways. And, and actually, this particular sermon, although he knows it's weighty, it's part of his, his class. And uh, when he approached me, he said, hey, I got, can I do this? I said, absolutely. This is another great discipleship opportunity. And Logan knows, and he said this to me earlier, uh, he feels the weight of preaching, and that's a good thing. It's not just a class project. He's preaching God's very word. And that has massive significance. No pressure. You already know that. I know that. So all that to say, I um, wanted to give some context um, as to why Logan's coming up to preach. So Logan, please come up. I'm eager to sit under the preaching of God's word. Well, thank you, Dean, for the prayer and reading of the word. Thank you, Ryan, as always, with uh, serving us with worship. Uh, those were some of my favorite songs. <laughs> so I'm glad we got to listen uh, to them this morning. And good evening, church. Uh, let me just say it is always wonderful to see you guys no matter the time of day. Um, we have been blessed by West Kirk uh, to be meeting here, uh, especially with winter fast approaching um, I will say I did enjoy our time in the outdoors and breathing in the fresh air, but I'm sure, let's be honest, when the fresh air becomes 10 degrees outside, we don't want it anymore. <clears throat> so I want to thank Pastor Sean and, of course, the church for giving me this opportunity uh, to preach this Sunday. Through these past three weeks, we have been walking through the grand narrative of the Bible, and we have started in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and we now find ourselves in the very last book of the Bible, Revelation. And I want to take moments to review where we have been to remind ourselves of this grand narrative that is woven throughout the scriptures. We started in the book of Genesis with creation, God made all of creation, and it was good and perfect. 
And this was exemplified by the fact that John pointed out that man and woman were naked and unashamed. It was pure. This, however, did not seem to last long. And the next week, we went over the fall and how Adam and Eve were tempted to break the one law that they were charged to keep. As, as a result, the world and man were cursed as sin entered in the world. This reversal of the goodness of God's creation is reflected in how Adam and Eve now saw their nakedness and they were ashamed and sought to cover themselves up with fig leaves, sin, death, all of it. The curse entered the world. If God would have left us here, there would have been no hope. But God did not leave us here, did he? No. Instead, God the Father sent God the Son on earth, and he lived a perfect life on our behalf. We should have been killed for our sin and our rebellion, but instead Christ went to the cross and died on our behalf so that those who have faith in him will have the redemption from their sins. And he rose again from the dead, showing that he conquered it. This is a beautiful story, and it's, it's exciting. My God lived and died for me, and he lived and died for you so that we might be saved through his grace and through his love. How can it get better than that? Well, I'm here to tell you that it does get better than that. Because right now, I'm sure you have noticed that the world is still full of sin. We have been saved and are free from the bondage of sin and death. But in our flesh, we still have to fight sin. There's still a struggle. And because of sin, there's still death. But Christian, this isn't the end of the story. God is still not content to leave us or this world where they are at now. This is because we are not yet back to the garden. We are not yet back to perfection. We are between God's redemption and his restoration of this world. And this brings us to this text this evening. This is what brings us to the book of Revelation. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but when it comes to books and movies, I hate spoilers. I hate knowing the ends of anything. And usually when someone is about to give a spoiler, they give a spoiler warning. So I guess this is my spoiler warning for the story of the world. We are going to go over the end of the world story and the end of our story. And unlike books or movies, this story is one that should give us hope. It should give us hope through this short time that we call life. So we're at the book of Revelation, and I want to take just a small time to go over the context of the book, because context is always king. And let's be honest, Revelation is a challenging book. There is giant monsters, locusts with human faces, and a dragon. Just to name a few things, parents, good luck explaining that to your children. So I would say that context is really helpful in this case, so we'll go over that briefly. Revelation is a book that was written by John while he was in exile in the island of Patmos. Some of church tradition says that he was exiled after being boiled alive by the Roman Empire, and clearly that did not work out well. 
The book was written for the churches in Asia Minor who were experiencing persecution by the hands of both Jewish people, but more than ever, the Roman governments. And we have seen this persecution as we've gone through the book of Acts. However, in 64 AD, Emperor Nero took the throne and took this persecution to an entirely different level. Just one example of his evil is that he was known to throw parties at his palace and he would light it, light it up with burning Christians. This is just one terrible, twisted example. And so things were not going well for the church. The purpose of Revelation then was to give hope to these churches. It was a highly relevant text to their time and it is relevant to us today as it give us, gives us hope. So that is my goal for today. I seek to give you a taste of what God has in store for us and the world. Because what he has in store is a glorious restoration. For those of you taking notes, there are going to be three areas that I will be focusing on that God will restore. First, we will see in this text the restoration of creation itself. Then we will see the restoration of God's relationship with his people and finally, I want to touch on that God will restore justice on the world. So it is in Revelation 21.1 that we see the first example of this restoration as John writes, Then I saw a new heavens and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. This restoration of the world is needed. Why? Because of the curse that we saw back in Genesis 3. Remember, that curse of sin did not affect just humanity, but all of creation itself. We see this very clearly demonstrated in passages like Romans 8, starting in verse 20, as Paul describes creation as being subject to futility. It is currently in the bondage of corruption and is groaning, groaning together in the pains of childbirth. I have not bore a child, nor will I ever bear a child, but it is not a fun time. This is a picture of creation in pain that Paul is giving us. But Paul also tells us that creation will be set free from this bondage of corruption, and that is what we see in our text today is the glorification of creation. Now, a question that will arise is what exactly is meant by the word new, a new creation, a new heaven, new earth? Some have taken this to mean that our current world, this current creation, will be destroyed completely and replaced by a brand new creation. This is like how someone might throw away their old rust bucket of a car and replace it with a new 2020 model. However, I do not think that this is the case in this text because the groaning and longing that we see in Romans 8 with creation would be very strange if creation was to be completely destroyed. I do not see how there is a freeing of bondage of corruption and the attainment of creation's own glory in the destruction and replacements. Certainly the new creation, if this were the case, would be free of corruption. But that's not the same thing as the current cre creation being freed from the bondage of corruption. Instead, I think there is a better way to see this newness of creation as a transformation and restoration of creation that is already here. 
To continue to use the car analogy, it's like you have your older car, and instead of throwing it away, you are restoring it to its original condition. But even then, this does not fully capture the newness that we will see with creation. This is because with creation, its very nature will be transformed and restored. The nature of creation, its original perfection in the garden, was lost by the fall. But here it will be transformed again, back, restored. And there is a a parallel to this in our own salvation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Very similar language is used here, and yet we still are who we are. We have not been completely destroyed and replaced by a new person. Instead, our inner self and our spirit has been transformed by the Spirit into a new creation. As such, the newness of creation in Revelation 21 seems to parallel this, that it is a restoration and a transformation to perfection once more. And this should fill us with a great hope. The flaws and hurt of this world will be reversed. The consequences of sin on creation is going to end. And and in essence, we are going to be going back to the Garden of Eden, but it has been expanded, not just to one garden, but to the whole world. But God's restoration does not stop with just creation itself. No, he has plans for us as well. This brings us to the second point, that God will fully restore his relationship with his people. We see in Revelation 21, 2 through 4, that God will dwell with his people once more. Because see, in the garden, there was a perfection in the relationship with God and his people, Adam and Eve. It was perfect. And we know of at least one instance in Genesis 3, 8, that God physically walked in the garden. I don't think it is a stretch to think that God would have walked in the garden before this with Adam and Eve as part of his perfect relationship with them. But this relationship was destroyed after the fall. God ceased to dwell with his people in this full and intimate sense. And through Genesis, we see that God communicates with his people. But we do not see him dwelling with them until Exodus, when the tent of meeting is constructed. God then dwells in the tents, but this is yet, it's still not the full restoration. Because only Moses is able to enter the tent of meeting. Everyone else stays outside and has to wait for Moses as a mediator to give them what the Lord has said. This distance between the people seems to almost further grow as the temple is constructed. Because then it is still only one man that can ever go into the dwelling place of God, the Holy of Holies. It is the high priest, but unlike Moses who went in there freely, the high priest can only enter there one day out of the year on the Day of Atonement. This is a far cry from the Garden of Eden. But Christian, we have access to God now through the Spirit, by the blood of Christ. He has removed the separation in that sense, but more is yet to come. 
We have the dwelling of God the Spirit in us, but a greater fullness is coming. God will not dwell in a tent, and he will not dwell in a temple. But verse 3, behold, his dwelling place will be with God. Or sorry, his, the dwelling place of God will be with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. There will then cease to be any separation at all. And he will physically dwell with his people once more, just like the garden. We will be able to see Jesus, our King, our Savior, in all his glory, in the flesh. And we will be able to walk with him. And immediately we see the results of this full dwelling in verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for former things have passed away. Let this sink in, into your heart, the very depths of your soul. Let us dwell on this beautiful promise. This is a complete reversal of Genesis 3. All death and mourning and pain are wiped away by the hands of Jesus. This means that sin is no more. Death is the product of sin, and we see in this text that death is gone. You will never have to battle with your flesh again. You will never be tempted. Those formal, former things pass away. There is an end to all suffering. I know that there are those here that have suffered greatly. We've experienced death, physical sickness, mental sickness, fractured relationships with friends and family. All of this will cease to be. There is an end to our fight, fighting and our struggle against sorrow. All of this will be gone. Not just in heaven, but there will be here on earth the new creation living with one another in perfect harmony with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and with each other for all eternity. And Christians, I can guarantee that 10,000 years from now, when we have only just begun to worship the living God, this life will seem like nothing, like a fleeting memory. This is the sweet hope that saw the early church through some of its darkest days, and it is the sweet hope that sh should see us through ours. The question is how? How do we hold on to this hope? And I think that we as a people need to be intentional about our mindsets. We need to be focused on this eternity and on this future. Most tend to either live in the present or they dwell in the past. And this is an easy thing to do. It is something that comes naturally to us. And it is much harder to always be looking to the future. But it is this future, this hope that should be driving us. You see, like a competitive runner does not look at his feet as he runs, nor does he look back at his other competitors. No, his eyes are forward. They are looking towards the finish line. And it is the finish line that drives him. His lungs and legs will burn, and he will suffer as he runs. But it is the future glory of finishing the race that pushes him through. And brothers and sisters, our future glory is far better than winning a race. As we strive through the life, we are heading towards eternity. 
and an eternity that is filled with infinite joy, peace, and love. We must keep our eyes on the prize, as it were, and use this hope on a daily basis to help preserve us as we strive forward. We have the hope of a new and perfect creation waiting for us. We have the hope of a fully restored relationship with God as he dwells with his people. And there is one more hope that we have to look forward to, and it is the restoration and hope of true justice. As we move into this final point of our text, verse 5 through 8, we see two groups of people. There's the first, they are the thirsty and the conquerors, which seems to me as a description of Christians in verse 6 and 7. The thirsty receive the water of life without payment. How do I know that it's Christian that is being spoken of? This water of life seems to be the Spirit of God himself. And the reason that I say this is because John writes in his gospel that Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit. This is John 7, 38 through 39. So Revelation seems to be using the same picture of the Spirit as John's gospel. The conquerors in Revelation 21, 7 is also in reference to Christians, as God will be their God and they will be his sons. But what does it mean that, what does it mean by the ones who conquer? This is not a conquering in the literal sense. It is not as if the U.S. could go and conquer Canada and become sons of God. The ones who conquer are the Christians who remain faithful through suffering and the hardships of life. Again, Romans 8 helps us in understanding this text, as Paul says in verse 35 and 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And what does Paul say about this? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Christians, regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, conquerors, more than conquerors, for nothing can separate us from the love of God. Our heritage then in Revelation as conquerors is the sonship and the new creation that awaits us. Now you might be asking, what does that have to do with justice being done? Well, I want, want us to remember the context of our texts. Christians in that day were being killed for their faith. They are the only ones who are worshiping the true God in Rome, and they are being slaughtered for it. They are unjustly being arrested, tried, and killed. But this wrong is going to be made right. And there are still Christians all across the world who are being treated unjustly. We have fellow brothers and sisters in China who will be imprisoned for their faith. In the Middle East, we have brothers and sisters being slain in the sands. There is injustice still being done to Christians all throughout the world, and God will make it right. He will make us inheritors of his new creation 
This is how justice is going to be done. But there is lastly one more group of people that will receive justice in verse 8. And I was tempted to stop at verse 7, but I think that we should not shy away from the fact that God will have his justice when it comes to the wicked. This world is filled with evil on all levels of society. And the justice of our world can only go so far. Our courts, our laws, our people, they fail. There is evil in our world that goes unpunished. But we know that this will not last. See, we can have hope that justice will be done. Evil will have to face the judgment seat of God. They will have to face the one who knows all, is all good, and is all just. Perhaps evil goes unpunished for this time, but on the day they face the Lord, their deeds will be known, and they will face the fires of the second death. And this is good. we got to remember this is good for God to do. It is justice, and we should rejoice in it. Any injustice you see in the streets, in our country, or in the world, is not going unnoticed. But let us not miss one thing. The waters of life mentioned prior, they can still be received without payment, for Christ has paid it already. Those who do not have faith in God face just punishment, for they are rebels against God. And to rebel against a God who is all good, infinite, and loving, and who has given them their very breath and life is cosmic treason. But all Christians were formerly rebels, were they not? We've all rebelled against God at one point or another. But there's still hope, and there is the offer of salvation. And we as Christians must not neglect those who are lost. Though God is just to punish the lost, we are still called to reach them and to offer the waters of life just as the Lord Jesus did. For they too can become conquerors with us through faith and repentance in Christ's death and resurrection. And this too would be just another thing to rejoice in. We as Christians are living between this sermon and last week's sermon, between redemption that has been accomplished, and with restoration that is yet to be accomplished. And we wait with creation for the second coming of Christ where he will bring about full and complete perfection. I pray that you have been able to at least catch a glimpse of the glory of God and the glory that he has in store for us. Not only do we have the hope of heaven to look forward to, we have the hope of creation being restored and living with Jesus Christ, our God, with no sin, no suffering, no pain. We have the hope that there will be full and complete justice done here on earth. If there is one thing I want you to take away from the sermon, it is this. Daily, keep your eyes on this truth. Daily, look towards the restoration of all things. And daily, let this hope fill your heart. And by God's Spirit, He will sustain you.
Let us pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.